Welcome all you weirdos, Krakoans, and unlawfully detained Mysterium counterfeiters. It's time for us to prison break your consciousnesses via a weekly Weird Dose of X. I'm Jason, and this time communicating with me via Morse code from an adjoining cell is our pal Ruben. Hey, Ruben. Hey, how's it going? It's going going pretty well, you know, here in, here in the clink. I, I think... Uh, I think there might be a, a breakout coming soon. So don't tell anybody I told you that, but I've, I've heard rumblings. Can I do a quick shout out here? Please go for it. All right. We, we had a commentator on our last episode, Peter McPherson. And I was sort of taken aback that somebody actually is listening to us. So I guess I got to step up my game. But I just wanted to say shout out to you, Peter. Thanks for leaving a comment. And we hope to hear from the rest of you guys out there. It kind of made my day. Oh, cool. Yeah. Jim sent me a, a link of that too. I had it wandered over. I think it was on the Patreon page, right? And uh, he called us gents, though, which I'm not sure. Maybe he's, <laughs> is he his really listening? Bad? Is he on a different <laughs> podcast? And anyway, we, we appreciate it. So thank you for your uh, for your commentary. Yeah. So today, this week, uh, us two gents will be talking about two books. We're talking about X Force number thirty five and Immortal X Men number nine. There's another book X Men read this week. We're gonna kick that one forward a week and talk about it next time when we only have Legion of X to also talk about. So two books this week, two more books next week. Give us plenty of time to get into the nitty gritty here. Sound good, Ruben? And if, if anyone's holding off on buying X-Men Red, it's still good. Um, that's the spoiler, for me at least. Still a good book, absolutely. Yeah. So X-Force number 35, titled Prison Break, written by Ben Percy and art by Chris Allen. And I hadn't really noticed, but Ben Percy has written, I think, all 35 issues of X-Force in this run, hasn't he? Yeah. He has the, a lot I mean, of this issues. is the highest numbered book in the Krakoan era, and it's all been the same writer, which hasn't been the case in some other titles. So he's just been kind of quietly chugging along with the story for a, a good long time. Yeah, they must be selling a lot of issues. I mean, they're never bad. I just, I'm not that excited about them. I, I'm ready to move on, but it seems like this story is starting to wrap up. So hopefully we'll get some new ideas soon. We do have some big changes here. Yeah. So anyway, in this issue... Ben Percy, this this writer we just buttered up a little bit, he declares that things like subtlety and subtext are for suckers. He puts it all right on the surface, underlined in bold type. There's no missing his message here. And this issue is essentially one continuous fight sequence. Do you remember we left off last time with uh, our, our, our two guys, what were their names again? Solemn and Blackmore. And they were going to bust up Beast's secret, uh, nasty old illegal prison lab. And so we start this off by confirming beyond all doubt that Beast is a complete and utter, you know, piece of crap. He's, he's <laughs> no, there's no shades of gray. There's no shades of blue. He's just, he's just awful. He's in his lab. He's experimenting on prisoners and, you know, killing them. Uh, he casually doses a prisoner with, quote, a few grams of a necrotic Cohen fungus, observes a poor guy's reactions for like five seconds, and then, you know, shoots him out to die in the vacuum of space. Now, yeah, call me crazy. I, I don't think we're supposed to think Beast is all that decent a fella, Ruben. I, am, no, I, am I crazy here? No, no. Yeah, we not even very see him wearing mad scientist goggles on his head straight out of the Dr. Horrible musical. It's, Correct. it's right there. Yikes. Yeah, I am I am desperately holding on to that theory that you shared that maybe somehow he was rebooted with Dark Beast's personality, either entirely intact or, you know, Mixed fused in with his current. Sort of yeah, because otherwise superposition. Otherwise I don't think I ever want to see this character again. And and I do like Beast as a character, right? He's in my mind an interesting sort of tragic fellow, but there's not that much interesting here. It's hard to see how they're going to redeem him. I don't know if they want to make him like a permanent 
or semi-permanent villain like uh, the original Ant-Man. What's his name again? Just flew out of my head. Oh, God. Uh, Hank Pym. Hank Pym, yes. I mean, Hank became basically you know, one of the one of the main heroes to just no longer can use useful as a hero. So I don't know if they want to do that with Beast, but it's hard to see how they're going to make him make him a hero again anytime soon. Yeah, it's bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. So from here, we cut to Solomon Sever Blackmore just wrecking house. Uh, Blackmore just wants to incite all the prisoners to kill all the jailers, and the jailers seem to be more or less only Maverick and his mercs from Mysterium. I don't know if there's other you know wardens, prison workers there. I don't know. But Solomon says, hey, maybe a nice hostage ransom situation would be fun. Either way, they both decide it's time to go right after Beast. Solomon gets caught up in a one-on-one with Maverick, and Solomon then delivers a lecture to Maverick on why it's bad to side with the fascists, which I, I can't even say the word, fascists, which again, it is the official policy of this podcast family, family yes. to be against fascism, but to have that lecture delivered by freaking Solomon from Arako? Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, Ben Percy. I, I don't think that's the right uh, character to, to give that little speech to. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah I don't know. I, I, I don't even know what to say about these issues with, with this kind of just heavy-handed point-making, right? It's like, right. I don't disagree with it. It's like, stop it, the exactly. villain, yes. We're not taking the other side of the argument. Yes. We're just not enjoying the artistic presentation <laughs> of it. Yeah. I mean, here, here's just uh, just an aside. So I wrote like a one sentence review into OpenAI and clicked the like, hey, generate this. And it pretty much wrote me like four paragraphs that looked like an actual written review. <laughs> it's kind of spooky how well it does that. Yeah. yeah, it encapsulates my feelings about this. And if I can have just some generic AI, you know, provide a response that captures all the points and nuance of this issue, then the issue is not very deep. Agreed. And if you want to see the output of Ruben's AI chatbot, you should join our Patreon and see it over on the Slack. Been a little commercial announcement. So, meanwhile, back in the comic book, we cut to Krakoa, and we see Sage visiting Domino in the Healing Gardens. As you remember, last issue, Sage was slowed with assist Domino in trouble on an away mission because Sage was, I believe, stinking drunk at the time. Uh, Domino survived. More subtlety. Yeah, more subtly. <laughs> She's feeling bad about being drunk. <laughs> yes. So we were worried that Domino might have died there. Yeah. It was really unclear. She was lying on the ground. She got back to Krakoa. But, you know, just like you, we saw like things like Hellion, sometimes you get through the gate and then die. It seemed like that might have been what happened. But she's all right. She seems only kind of not even all that banged up. She goes right back into action. She has some Krakoan bandages on her, but mm-hmm. I guess they're all right. Uh, and in fact, Domino is quite well enough to deliver this really trite lecture on sobriety to Sage, <laughs> which I, again, oh. I just wanted to once again, she- we are not pro alcoholism. <laughs> both things we're against both fascism and alcoholism. <laughs> and if you combine those two, I think that'd be even worse. That'd be just horrible. But again, the way it's, it's presented here. Is, uh, and I think even the artist gets that. This is Chris Allen, yes. because he's drawn some great stuff. But the faces on these panels are just distorted and grotesque, like yes. he didn't want to spend much time on this either. That's no. that's my reading into it, of course. But I think that's, that's right. what I see. Yeah, you know where Domino's like sitting up and Sage is like, oh, I feel like I'm the one who belongs on the table, Domino. And then she's like, I know you're hurting. I just wanted to be like, you stink like a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I smell cheap hooch and vomit. That's what you smell like. <laughs> this is not a subtle, confusing situation. We know what's up. Mm. Uh, okay, so back into space, the Shadow Prison. 
Nazi Dr. Hank McCoy decides that the only way he can save the situation, maybe even the only way he can save his own hide, is to inject another prisoner with, quote, a serum crossbred from a manslaughter specimen, that's capital M, capital S, the, the uh, Man-Thing spinoff character, and a predatory strain of Krakoan fauna. So he jabs this into the, the poor schmuck, and it turns the prisoner into this horrific, unnatural beast that is an abomination before both man and God. It's, it's awful. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how adding one more agent of chaos to the battle scene is supposed to help Beast, but this creature is going to be important thematically later on, so that's why he's here. I, I, I mean, this splash page does look really cool. This is the best looking page in the book. Yes. Uh, Chris Allen, much better at drawing monsters than at drawing interventions, which who can blame him? So, if in it's general, only for that it is kind of funny, funny, right? Like, why is this thing not just destroying Beast right here, right? Like even if even if it's just a mindless creature, there's nothing in here that makes me think it would go in the direction that you point it. Beast injects him, and during the transformation process, Beast then kind of locks himself up in a cell. Mm. So when the thing wakes yeah, pushes up, him out the door, and there's then... no one right there. Okay, yeah. okay, maybe that's what's going on then. That's how I'm telling the story. Anyway. Okay, back to Krakoa. Sage says something about it. She has a she's tracking a message sent from Maverick. I. I think this might be, this is either a mistake or I'm a dummy or maybe both because I don't know what message this is. <laughs> uh, we did see that Beast was trying to send a message to Maverick and they're kind of at Beast's Krakoan, you know, desk. So maybe that's what they're talking about. Whatever it is, Omega Red does this kind of neat tracking thing with his tentacles that trace Beast's biosignature and lets him find this hidden gate that we know connects to the Shadow Prison. And we also see this this weird panel that shows both Domino's head, and we also see that feral controlled Wolverine in the panel. But I I don't think they're supposed to be physically in the same space. I think that's just to remind us of all the bad stuff Beast has done. What did what did you make of that panel? Yeah, I don't think they found him. I, I was expecting when I saw that I was like, oh okay, they're they're going to run into him, right? Like this is going to be some of the yeah. I was waiting for the page stuff, and have them, but yeah, the, have them fight each other. Maybe maybe this is like seeding how. The new beast is going to escape captivity because yeah, they maybe really... because it's going to be interesting to see how the next Wolverine issue continues based on how this one finishes up. <laughs> it's just thirty pages of him like drooling, <laughs> just staring. <laughs> Guest artist Rob Liefeld <laughs> waiting um, for the activation signal or something. But yeah, um, Ink is not a good guy. Now back in the Shadow Prison, it gets really bad. Maverick and the Mercs decide to just. Peace out. Beast tries to give him more money, but they say, yep, no good. We don't want any money. Can't spend the money when we're dead. Beast left all on his own. Mm -hmm. And then we get a data page that's a, the prisoner intake log, which, you know, I, I like the data pages that would actually exist. And I guess Beast, even though he doesn't want to be found out, he's a paperwork organization kind of guy, so he would have this. But clearly the point of this is just to convey to us, the readers, the variety of prisoners all over the Marvel Universe, and to show us that some of them really aren't all that bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. Sure, there's some murderers and attempted murderers, including somebody who wanted to assassinate Abigail Brand, which is kind of interesting. But we also get someone who's just a smuggler. We get a Mysterium counterfeiter, which, you know, it's nice of the book to remind us that Mysterium's still technically a thing. And one whose only listed crime is, quote, obstruction of gates. So yeah, once again, Beast, bad guy, folks. Yeah, well, just in case you had any doubt about... <laughs> unsanctioned medical experiments then right you, you can't say well sure he's killing all these people these are the worst of the worst they're like yeah. you know child murderers and yeah. horrible things to whatever nope these are just you know 
folks who got in Beast's way. Yeah, there's a few that are bad. The the murderer, I'm not so sympathetic to him, but gate vandalism, really? Yeah, I think, I mean, even so, a little bit of rule of law, even for the murderers, might be nice. No, call me, call me old-fashioned. Back on Krakoa, so Domino and Omega Red go through that secret portal to, you know, they don't know where it goes. It's That's the way Krakoan portals work. I don't know if they could stick like a, a camera through. I guess that doesn't work. It'd have to be a mutant goes through. So they just walk on out, which leaves Sage on Krakoa to pull her emergency booze flask out of a cabinet drawer and very symbolically throw it on the ground. Doesn't break, though. Stays yeah. in one piece. Mm. So Domino and Omega Red find themselves inside the shadow prison and proceed to rescue slash arrest Beast. Beast just wants them to release a cloud of death spores and kill everybody, but our uh, arresting officers slash rescuers decline. So the shadow prison, as best as I can tell, is just left in the possession of Iraqi pirate Sever Blackmore, who I guess pretty much now has his own Marvel war world flying around in space. It's interesting to see where that little plot thread goes. That's kind of neat. I don't think we'll see this again. Actually, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I could see this getting picked up in X-Men Red. They seem to it be. Could be. I mean, there are some Ben Percy characters, so I think he's probably going to want to uh, tell us about what happens with, with Sever Blackmore. We also got another trite uh, pep talk from Domino. Yeah, which I we really did. Love. I just want to read this. Go for it. <laughs> Uh, Jason, it's it's not easy to break out of the prisons we build for ourselves, so don't be afraid to ask for help. <laughs> oh wow, Ruben, thank thank you. That really that really touches me. And the, the metaphor is 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 I I think I picked up on the meaning. It was a bit on the subtle side for me, but I I think I got it. And then the uh, staring into the bottle of booze. Uh, I hate you. I hate you as much as I hate me. <laughs> Yeah, we're not too crazy about it either, sister. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Mm, I, I so just while this is going it. on, Solemn, remember he's still around, has sent that monster beast created through the gate onto Prokoa. These gates work both ways, which, you know, causes some problems. I guess the guy, the, the monster was a mutant? Let's not worry about that. I don't think we're supposed to worry about how it got through the gate. Anyway, it moves to confront Sage, but Sage defeats it. And and Ruben, why don't you explain for all of us how Sage defeats this horrible, ravening beast? Oh, my God. I don't even remember, honestly. Oh, uh, oh you don't? Okay. She picks up that flask she threw on the ground. Oh, remember? That's right. And she has Black Tom yeah, yeah. in this kind of extended okay. conversation create a will-o'-the-wisp spark yeah, in front of her. Yeah, she spits the booze. <laughs> yeah, she kind of takes a, a last, we presume, sip of this booze in her mouth and then kind of aerosolizes it, spitting it through the spark yes. and burns the poor thing to death. Remember, this is just an unwilling prisoner beast shanghaied into this predicament. And it gets horribly burned. And I have never attempted this maneuver, but how much damage can one mouthful of flaming tequila or whatever even do, right? Is this, is this part Martian Manhunter? He's super, that's, that's his weakness, is, is, is flaming cheap whiskey? <laughs> I don't know. And then Sage now throws the bottle aside one more time, this time with great force. It shatters on the ground. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what English majors would call a symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of mm, have a she, feeling she, she could have just done this without even taking the sip. <laughs> I think she was already intoxicated. Was just okay, so to wrap up this issue, uh, the issue closes with a panel of a, a manacled, restrained beast being taken back through the portal on Koa. And uh, I, I thought it looked familiar when I checked. And this panel very closely mirrors another panel way back in X-Force number 12. 
published in September 2020, right before X of 10, so a long time ago. And that's the issue where it was Colossus who was manacled and arrested by Beast, you know, for having a Russian accent. Uh, so I'll ask Jim to post those panels on uh, our Twitter account. So go to at WSMarvel if you want to check out that little parallel, which I thought was kind of cool. The most interesting thing about this issue to me is the the kind of the page that talks about the next issue. And we suddenly see, you know, Zeno and the Peacock guy back. We've not seen them in forever. Yeah, that's apparently going to be titled Xenophobia, which, yeah, I, this is a plot line that Ben Percy set up a long time ago as to be as, as another group of kind of faceless antagonists because all the real X-Men bad guys had been invited onto the island. So, yeah, maybe we'll learn some more about them. They look like D-list version of Orcus, and I think they got away from them because there was like nothing different about them other than the guy looked interesting. And now they're tied up with that uh, Chronicler guy who was controlling Colossus as well, right? So mm-hmm. maybe we'll get that plot line finally. That was that again. was a more interesting thing, yeah, with the um, with his evil brother. Well, so that's all we have for this issue, except to remind everyone: here's some things that are bad: beast, fascism, alcoholism, <laughs> and contrary-wise, things that are good: friendship, sobriety. <laughs> Breathing fire and prison reform. You know enough. So I think we've all learned a valuable lesson or something. Yes. So, uh, yes. Ruben, what are you going to give this 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 book here today? Uh, my heart says just a five. I can't even go up to five five because I the art even felt dialed in. There are some ugly ugly pictures. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say five. Okay, I'm I'm gonna be a little more positive. I'm glad that the beast storyline is. I mean, it's something's got to happen now, right? They've arrested the guy. They're not going to throw him in the hole, I guess, maybe. We don't know what punishment is like anymore. So, you know, they've arrested the head of the mutants, X-Force, CIA, whatever you want to call it. So that's got to be pretty important. So I'm curious to see where that goes. I'm glad that the Sage intervention seems to have been at least pretty quick. I don't want multiple issues of, of her story stretching on that way. So yeah, I'm going to give this a Kiss My Predatory Strain of Cohen Grits, 6 out of 10. Kiss My Grits! What kind of bottle is she holding? Sorry, I'm going back to like the... You know, the bottle that she breathes the uh, liquor through the will of the wisp. She like flicks it off with a finger. It looks like a twist off, but somehow she manages to flip it with her thumb. (laughs) (laughs) On to what I think we'll both agree is a a much better book. This is Immortal X-Men number nine, written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Wernick. And I'm going to start off by reminding everyone of Immortal Sinister Secret number nine. There's going to be one of these secrets that go with every issue, and this one says, Look on the bright side. The council chamber being white means it's easy to see where you have to mop up the bloodstains. And yeah, I think that one pays off pretty well. I, I think we'd have to give that a, 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 a check. Yep, that's what happens. There's a lot of bloodstains in this issue. And uh, the, we know that each issue here is being told from a different point of view, and that gimmick is kind of wearing a little thin, I think, because this issue is all about Mr. Sinister, all about his machination machinations, I don't even know how to say that word, all about his shenanigans, but it's told from uh, Call Me Kate's point of view. And we don't really learn anything about Kitty from her narration, nothing about her hopes, her dreams, or fears. So from that standpoint, it feels kind of like a waste. It seems like the next issue, if anything, will be more about what Kitty actually does. So I don't know why we had to had to see her point of view here. But we do get some fun time loop shenanigans with Mr. Sinister. So I'm not going to criticize it too much. I just think maybe the gimmick doesn't work as well here as in some of the early issues. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm getting to the point. It feels like he's committed to doing it for all the characters, but I'm with you at this point. It was 
clever for a little bit, but it's a lot of people to do one shots of and then I'm tying it into the story. And we're like the very last one has this amazing, you know, work. It, it works so well. It, it just the story and the way we're telling it is just going to really lead up to a big kaboom. But maybe these ones in the middle, he has to kind of has to make them work. He doesn't really have a plan. So in this book, the idea is Mr. Sinister wants to kill the Quiet Council, or at least large parts of the Quiet Council, with hope being his very highest priority. Now, are we supposed to know exactly why he wants to do this? I don't think so, but my my instinct here is more along the lines of he needs to take out Destiny because as long as she is around, she's going to be able to stop whatever plots he has in store. And the only way to take her out permanently is to also get rid of the resurrection cycle. And I don't think he cares about that because he has a resurrection cycle regardless of whether the um, the five still exist or not, right? Because he just breeds or clones himself and, you know, he has an immortality independent of all this. Now, this, this particular plot line was interrupted by Judgment Day, which made me forget some of it. So I went back and looked at an immortal number four, pre-Judgment Day, we had that little quiet council moment where a memory that Emma took from Scott's mind showed the council that under the mask, Dr. Stasis looks like Mr. Sinister with a club on his forehead. And the implication being that Stasis says he's the real Nathaniel Essex and Mr. Sinister's a clone. And that's when Mr. Sinister freaked out and ran away. So I guess this is kind of coming right after that, but we had this crazy war in between. And we also have a quote in this book from Mr. Sinister saying, let's go for it. He's talking to himself here. He says, the first stage is a success. We have the Moira engine, the, his little save points situation, hopes on the council. Let's see if I can get the second stage up and running. So there's some other setup he's doing. Presumably, this is all about what's going to happen in Sins of Sinister. Like, I, I think we're not really supposed to know exactly why he's doing this. Yeah. At least I hope not, because I don't know exactly why. Well, he's doing he, it. I mean, he's a megalomaniac. I don't think him playing, you know, part of a team has ever been his thing. And if you if you go even far as far back as like Hawksbox, a lot of the futures, you know, the the failed futures end with him betraying Krakoa. I guess so. I'm just curious, and I, I well, that's the point to make us curious about what exactly he's up to. So he wants to kill all these people, especially Hope. He knows he doesn't have to get this right the first time because he has his Moira save points to work with. His most recent save point is Moira Roman numeral number six, which he specifically creates right before he attacks the council. Uh, I guess it's just like when you're playing computer game, you create a save file right before your big boss battle because you want to go back and just do that part over again. So that, that works for me. And we don't yeah, have so other save points. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask, can you explain how this works? Because the part I struggle with, I, I get you age her up when her mutant power manifests. That's what sort of copies the world. And if she dies, it goes back to that. But the part I struggle with is, does she go back as a baby at that point? Because I don't, I always felt like with with pre cloning of Moira, what would happen is she would live, she would die, she would be reborn, right? And so she'd start back over as a baby, and then eventually her mutant power would manifest. But the thing is, she'd be a baby, but she'd have all the memories of the prior life. I guess she comes back as a baby, but this baby is in the artificial womb that Sinister has. Okay, so it would it would copy you. It would copy the world as of the date of the mutant power manifesting, but it would reboot slightly before that. I, well, it, it, it reboots to when he creates this new Moira. So I guess that's when the clone gets made. Okay. You, you make a clone, 
And whenever that clone dies, it'll come back to be made the same way. Just like the real Moira got made the old-fashioned way back in her timeline, yeah. it gets made the same way in the same place. Yeah, so that's kind of the weird part for me is then I guess the babies always start a little later. Does that make sense? So it's like if if it was born on Sunday, say, and then on Monday, the mutant power manifests and copies the world, and then it dies on Tuesday, the next time it comes back, it's coming back on a Monday as no, a baby. No, it comes back to the same time. But I think when, when he makes the clone, mm-hmm. he then immediately goes to see if that clone has any memories. He has this, I presume it's like a cerebro kind of technology. Yeah, yeah. I can and, understand And that. then by reading that, he can see you know, how many times this clone has, has lived. Yeah. So it's always going to be back to that same point. But whenever he says, you know what, I'm going to make a a new clone now, he never knows if that clone is going to come back completely fresh, never been used before, or if this clone has been cloned, you know, Mm. eight, nine times, whatever it is. Interesting. He doesn't know until he downloads those memories. Got it. So when he creates the clone, then he would do the check at that point. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. yeah. I did like the idea of that getting spelled out because – the first time we had this character introduced, the clone Moira's, I thought it was a cool idea, but I didn't quite understand how information about a failed timeline was making it back to Sinister. Right. It's only through Moira because that's part of her mutant gift is that she remembers all her old lives. So I, I did appreciate they spelled that out. That that helped a lot. But um, yeah, I still, the, the power's so weird. <laughs> and we'll probably never really get it fully spelled yeah, out. Any power that reboots the entire universe is going to be a bit much. There's yeah. going to be some some you just just close your eyes and accept it kind of moments with anything that works in that universal kind of scale. And then we get some weird limits added where I guess now each clone can only reboot 10 times and then you can only have 10 total clones. So I guess he gets what 100 tries. Okay, well I, I got that it could each clone could only work 10 times and which goes back to what we learned about Moira in House of X that that was when Destiny said I only see you having you know, 10 lives. Yeah. I didn't get, he can only have 10 clones. Did, I didn't yeah, see I that. Yeah, I think that's, part. I think that's somewhere in here, or at least what I've been reading from secondary resources. People are. That makes sense. Because I that. was wondering why, if any clone can only be used 10 times, why doesn't he just make a whole bunch of clones? And I got to, yeah. you know, 10 so, save points for this one and 10 save points a minute later for that one and 10 more. So maybe yeah. he only has. It's 10 something times like 10. the, the, Power is unstable, and so when you clone it, the next clone's not exactly as good as the last one. Fair enough. And that seems, as far as you know, fictional world building, it works, because you don't want this to be completely unlimited. You want to have yeah. some kind of limitations. Limitations. And a way to make it just all kind of go away at some point when it gets inconvenient. So that works. And it would help explain why he doesn't just reboot all the freaking time. You know, when he ran into, during Judgment Day, when he ran in, when stuff was going... I guess it'd be like pre-Judgment Day, right? When uh, the kaijus were attacking and he was like, oh crap. And he was considering doing the reboot, but then he ultimately didn't. Yes. And we know he has, still has Moira clones, numbers Roman numeral one through five, but even number five is back before Judgment Day. And he doesn't want to go through that nonsense again. He felt very uncomfortable when the progenitor was preventing him from rebooting the universe. Remember that? Yep. Yep. So he doesn't want to go through that again if he can prevent it. Okay, that's all that silliness. But I think that's that's pretty fun. I I enjoy his stuff. It's a very cool idea. It is. Yeah. And I think uh, Kieran Gillen gives us enough logic around it that we can we can buy it without without too much hand waving. Just enough. We also get names for two of Mister Sinister's cloned pets. The Cyclops cat is called well, it's called Psycat, which sure, okay, that one. But the giant Galapagos tortoise. He's Professor Plod. I like that. 
Okay, Professor Plod, they make him do things. And and both these pets can talk. Did we know they could talk already? I don't remember. No, I think it's the first time we've seen them talking. Okay, so is that is that enough setup for this issue? I, I hope so. So done with the setup, now on to the murder. Remember, he knows he, he has 10 shots at this, so he has to learn something every time. Attempt number one, Sinister walks into the Quiet Council. Destiny tells everyone that he's about to kill Hope. Sinister calls Destiny a spoil sport, and Exodus explodes Sinister to death. Kitty asks, What the hell is even that? Yep, attempt number two, Sinister uses a boom boom bomb to explode the council chambers, and then Destiny warns them, um, and they all have enough time to evacuate, and Exodus explodes Sinister to death, and Kitty asks, What'd you tell about, Willis? Attempt number three, Sinister walks into the Quiet Council again with murder on his mind. Destiny calls him on it, Again, this time Mystique grabs him and Hope uses Exodus's mutant gift to probe Sinister's mind to find out what the hell he's up to. This triggers a failsafe that Sinister had implanted to kill himself, messily, in the case of such a psychic probe. Kitty asks, I don't get it. Tip number four, Sinister wears battle armor and carries a giant gun. He kills Exodus. But then Storm kills him, and Kitty asks, What's going on? Attempt number five. Same battle armor planned as number four, I think. He must he must have thought he was onto something, because he did kill Exodus. This time, Sinister manages to kill Exodus and Hope, but then once again, Storm kills him. Kitty asks, What's going on? Attempt number six. Battle armor, giant gun. This time infused with celestial death. This outfit shorts out before he can kill anybody at all. Sinister then pulls out a smaller gun and kills himself. And Kitty asks, nah, you know, no. Attempt number seven. Sinister tries a sniper rifle attack. It doesn't work. He kills himself again before Exodus can get to him. Kitty asks, uh, It's my turn. Okay, wait. Uh, what's going on? Attempt number eight. Sinister implants a different kind of bomb in his head. A one that kills a psychic who scans his brain. He gets Xavier to try it, and Xavier's head explodes. Emma then goes heavy metal, three stooges and pushes two diamond fingers through Sinister's eyes and into his brain. Kitty says, yuck. Sinister is down to his final attempt. If this one doesn't work, you'll have to go back to more uh, Roman numeral 5 again and relive Judgment Day, and none of us want to see that. So we see this data page where he documents all his prior attempts with the frustrated scribbles and doodles all over it. Pretty cute looking. And as we continue to ponder, we see he has these tiny D&D-style models of all the Quiet Council members using the kind of plan out his attacks. And he also has the head of Dark Beast in a jar. That's kind of a, a crazy callback. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think it was helpful because, you know, how we've been reacting to X-Force and questioning, like, is Dark Beast actually Beast? This sort of gives you a answer that no. <laughs> right. People just want to take away all my hope that Hank McCoy is not totally Not going to take that easy way out. <laughs> So it was good. I mean, it was a, in my mind, it was a pretty important reveal and yes. um, nice synergy between the books. Now, this dark beast is, of course, the beast from Earth 295, the Age of Apocalypse world that Legion created back in, in that uh, event. And the last time Dark Beast appeared on panel was Uncanny Volume 5, number 20. That was the Rosenberg era, shortly before Hickman rebooted thing. And in that mm -hmm. issue, the character of Magic decapitates Dark Beast which I guess explains why he's just a floating head now. So that's that's nice. So here in this issue, Sinister taunts Dark Beast saying, you're not even the darkest beast anymore, which, hey, fair enough. So Sinister puts together one final plan, a sneaky plan. All right, so attempt number 10. And there's some convenient things at the beginning. I'm not sure if Sinister sets this up or he gets lucky, but well, let's talk about it. So the Quiet Council turns into a cocktail party with Shaw serving some old fashions. and as 
I'm not a cocktail guy exactly, but I've got to point out that the art here shows them drinking what looks like red wine. Yeah, it's a definitely strange, wine glasses. Uh, yes, this is not. Now, do you, do you <laughs> drink old fashions, Ruben? Have you ever had old fashioned? No. I, interestingly, I mean, if you look at um, Colossus, he looks like he's actually got. Oh, never mind. No, there's a. They're all drinking wine. Yeah. It sort of for a second looks like it was in a whatever the cups, right? Without a. Yeah. It's even called an old fashioned glass. It's a, a small, squat, kind of large diameter, you know, glass with no stem. And an old fashioned is like whiskey and simple syrup and bitters, basically. And people throw lots of fruit and crap in it too, but it's definitely not a glass of wine. But for some reason here, uh, this is when Storm decides just to leave. She thinks nothing important is happening. She's just going to choose to leave. And her not being around to stop Sinister, it seems like a really big deal. Because in a lot of the previous attempts, she's the one who, who killed him. I don't know exactly why she leaves or how Sinister got her to leave. Did he bring in the booze? She doesn't want know. to drink I, I think old that fashions out of a little. wine glass. <laughs> I guess She's so. like, this She's is bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that's the only bit in this issue I think Gillen should have explained a little more. Like, it's really important that she leaves. And, and I don't know how Sinister made that happen if he did. So anyway, after she's got a picture, you see a picture of her and she's bailing the party. I'm telling you, man, she does not drink her old fashions out of wine glasses. <laughs> oh, so Sinister comes in with the, the storm gone, prevents himself voluntarily to the quiet council and says, hey, yeah, I know I left in kind of a huff last time. I'm presenting myself to you for a scan just the way you scanned Cyclops back in there and learned about Dr. Stasis. Scan me now for like a rebuttal. But when Charles, Emma, Exodus, and Hope, using Exodus's power, start the scan, Sinister links them to a cluster of cloned Charles Xavier brains he's grown in a vat somewhere. Yep. I'm not sure where this vat's supposed to be. The art's kind of confusing. Are, are they in his hands? Is that what we're being shown? Uh, hard to say. I mean, he has something in his hands, but it doesn't look anything like a brain, and then you see the brains. So We have one panel that's just a close-up of the brain, so I'm not sure if yep. those are brains back in his lab. It doesn't really matter because they're psychically linked to these brains now, and these brains just immobilize all the psychics and then tell them, hey, send out a telekinetic pulse at torso height. All the Quiet Council members who are not stunned somehow know to die for cover. Don't really follow that. But Hope and Exodus are indestructible, so they're fine. But Charles and Emma are just immediately killed by this pulse. And again, all the deaths in this book are just people just explode. It's just blood everywhere, as you know, intimated in that uh, sinister secret that we started things with. So, with Charles and Emma killed, Sinister unleashes a flock of flying Cyclops eyeballs. I think we've seen these before as a distraction, and uses a combination of Harry Leland's increased mass ability with Gambit's turn mass into energy gimmick, and that crazy amount of mass to energy to energy to energy to energy blows up Exodus. So, he's off the board. With Exodus dead, Hope can no longer borrow his powers, and she's no longer indestructible, so Sinister pulls out a gun, which we're told is based on Unus the Untouchable. I don't think that was necessary, but hey, that's fun. And kills her, also messy. Sinister likes his deaths messy. No little, no little, like, bit of a dagger between the ribs, no poison. He wants people to just, you know, bursting bag of blood. Really gross. So with Hope gone, metaphor alert, Sinister bamps the hell out of there, leaves remaining council members to try to pick up the pieces. So the ones still alive are Shaw, Colossus, Destiny, Mystique, 
Nightcrawler, who, by the way, in this book, looks like he has the small horns he had at the start of Legion of X number seven. So that's where that links up. And Kitty is also still alive. In fact, in the final panel, it looks like Kitty Pride is putting herself in charge. And we'll see how well that goes next issue. So, so Ruben, what did you think of this? It was interesting. It, I struggle with some of it and, and sort of kill the same people over and over again gets a bit much for me. I'm not a huge, like, I don't mind character death, but I don't revel in it. So it was a little tough to me for me on that side. But it's interesting. It's a bit like uh, kind of like run, Lola run, you know, relive a moment over and over and over until you get it right. Or Happy Death Day, which is one of my favorite time loop movies, like that one, which was actually written by, oh, it was, it was written by a comic book guy. Scott Lobdell wrote that, in fact. Yeah, yeah. that's an X-Men guy. Cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, overall, I liked it. It was a good story. The art is much better than X-Force, and I wouldn't want a bunch of issues like this, but uh, I'm curious to see where it goes. So for me, probably 7-5. Okay. Yeah, it was a pretty fun issue. It tries to walk a fine line, right? Making Sinister goofy and fun, but still trying to keep him scary and intimidating. And to me, it tipped a little bit too much onto the goofy side. I want my Sinister to be a little more sinister, right? I, I know he's 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 kitschy and he's campy and that's all great stuff, but I want to be reminded that, again, it feels silly for me to say how goofy this was in a story that features so much murder. But the murder is over the top and goofy. And I guess they can all be brought back, although maybe with Hope being gone, maybe that'll be more complicated. I don't know if we're supposed to think that this is going to be kind of like, as we remember, the whole Eternal's uh, goal in their first attack on Rokoa was to kill Hope, and they fail. Where this time, Sinister's goal was to kill Hope, and he succeeded. So we'll see how much that throws a wrench into the resurrection protocols. The other interesting thing is we've got Sinister talking about how he's nothing like Stasis and the council's nothing without him. I almost wonder, because you were saying, like, why did he do all this? Is he trying to basically just prove to them that they they need him? (laughs) Which would be sort of an interesting twist, right? Yeah, we don't know what... Phase two is or stage second stage is going to be. We know he's he's got the first stage. He's got his Moira engine running. He's got hope on the council. And second stage is going to be something. Don't know what that's going to be. So yeah, I appreciate the thought putting the time loop rules. The goofiness, you know, gave me some chuckles, not gonna deny. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go all the way up to a, an eight out of ten for this. I thought it was pretty darn good. Okay, those are the books we wanted to talk about this week. Uh X-Force number thirty-five, not so great. Immortal X-Men number nine, pretty goofy, very bloody, but we're enjoying what Kieran Gillen's doing here and, and having some more Mr. Sinister looking forward to a Sins of Sinister event is gonna be fun. So next week. We're going to talk about X-Men Red number nine, which did come out this week. And, and there we'll see what Vulcan gets up to in those delicate diplomatic negotiations between the Shi'ar and the Kree Skrull Empire. I'm sure it'll be very cerebral and light light touch, and he'll just try to make things work out nicely. He's, he's that kind of guy. He's, yeah, known for subtlety. Yes. And then in Legion of X number eight, which has Mother Righteous on the cover, uh, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I expect we'll be seeing more of that monstrous new version of Angel. So are we looking forward to those, Ruben? I am. Yep. Wonderful. So thank you, everyone, for joining us as always. Check us out on the Twitters and on the website. And if you have any questions, let us know. And until then, read more X-Men comics, and we'll see you next time.